May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from Jesus Christ, whose threefold appearing we await and anticipate during these Advent days. This is a time for requests. Yours may be for more Thanksgiving leftovers. Yours may be for no more Thanksgiving leftovers. Yours may be for more time and money to shop for presents. Yours may be for less presents to buy and less presents to receive. Yours may be for clear and correct information about the Omicron variant. Yours may be for greater care and caution to manage this will-it-ever-end pandemic. You can see from my title in your worship guide for this morning's sermon, you can see that the first word is requesting, because this is how Advent begins. It begins with Jesus' own words, with his requesting. And Advent also begins with that final word, with the promise of righteousness in Christ and through Christ, the promised Savior. People God dearly loves. Our gospel reading is from Luke 19. Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. He's very close, approaching two small villages on the nearby Mount of Olives. So Jesus says to two of the twelve, I'm giving you a task. Go into the village ahead of us. We don't know if it's Bethphage or Bethany. And look for a colt, a young donkey tied up. It's unbroken, unridden. Untie it and bring it back to me here. Oh, and if anyone, perhaps the owners of the animal, questions what you are doing, just say this, the Lord has need of it. The disciples go. The disciples find the colt. The disciples untie it. And the disciples are challenged. Wait a minute. Why are you untying our colt? The two disciples give the reply they have been coached to give. The Lord requests it because the Lord has need of this young donkey. They complete the errand. They bring back the colt. They make a saddle out of some of their cloaks. They use other coats and jackets, their outer garments, as a carpet on the road. And the impromptu parade is underway. I'm pretty sure that Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade took a whole lot more planning, even though this parade was a whole lot more important. Soon the crowd grows both in number and in volume. Luke tells us that it includes the whole multitude of his disciples, far more than the 12, even more than the 72. The shouts begin, the acclaim echoes. Down from Olivet, across the Kindred Valley, skirting the olive groves of Gethsemane and up the slope on the eastern side of Jerusalem. Adults and children chant or sing with a loud voice, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven 
and glory in the highest. But rebuking follows requesting. Among the shouting, palm-waving, rejoicing, praising crowd are some Pharisees. They shove their way through the multitude to get close to donkey-riding Jesus. And they shout too. They shout a contrary demand. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. I could do that, but I won't, Jesus replies. And it doesn't matter. If I silence these voices, then the stones will cry out. They will voice praises to me. The rebuking by the Pharisees, not by Jesus, does not and cannot stop the rejoicing. When God's people see his mighty works, verse 37, they can't and won't stop rejoicing and praising. This was true of the Palm Sunday crowd which escorted Jesus into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And this is still true for all who read and hear our Lord's mighty works from his written, revealed, and proclaimed word. The saints of God will not be silent. The saints of God will not be silenced. But what does all that mean for this group of disciples gathered here at Crown of Life on the last Sunday of November and on the first Sunday of Advent? I'm going to answer that question by directing you to the epistle reading, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul begins by asking an appropriate question after our national day of thanksgiving. What thanksgiving can we return to God? Paul's immediate answer to his own question is, we give thanks for you, Thessalonian Christians. We give thanks for you because of the joy we feel for your sake. This joy is because they are sure in their, in their faith in Christ. Even though missionary Paul longs to see them face to face to be used by God to supply what is lacking. And Paul's joy is because they have great love for one another and for believers far away from them. So Paul longs for and anticipates a reunion. He wants to share with those believers what he wants to share with us through this inspired letter, blameless and holy hearts. These are the gifts of God's grace for all who are gathered into the final reunion at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. This is still, this is always the church's Advent prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, to gather your redeemed people. Come, Lord Jesus, to ransom captive Israel. Come, Lord Jesus, not from the Mount of Olives, but from your glorious throne at the Father's right hand. Come, Lord Jesus, not into ancient Jerusalem, but come to bring the new Jerusalem, the eternal city of God, where there is only rest, only joy, only peace, only praise. And this will be so. 
This will be so because of a promise made which becomes a promise kept. This will be so when a righteous branch sprouts and springs up. For this branch will execute justice and righteousness. This is the message of Jeremiah 33. This is a message spoken by one of God's prophets 600 years before Christ's first appearing. This is a message delivered to people in exile, people in despair, people far from their home. And this is a message for us here today. This branch is ultimately Jesus. This branch will be from the line of David, which is what we'll read on Christmas Eve from Luke chapter 2. This branch is a shoot from the stump of Jesse, Isaiah 11. And Jesse, you remember, was the father of David. And this branch will fulfill every promise made to Israel, to the northern kingdom, and to Judah, to the southern kingdom. It's even better than that. This righteous branch will grow into a greater kingdom than David ever ruled, greater than Abraham ever saw in the twinkling of the stars in the sky, <clears throat> greater than the sons of Jacob ever, ever imagined when their great, 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 and a dozen more greats after that grandsons entered the promised land. This branch points to a stark and splintered branch and to the salvation won by Jesus, whose hands and feet were nailed to rough beams so that he could give his holy and sinless life away. Then and there, justice is done. Guilt is paid for. Punishment is canceled. Forgiveness is won for sinners. Righteousness is given to beggars, all by our Lord's suffering and death. The Advent wreath before us suggests branches, a living, a life-giving branch, just as the trees in your homes and soon here in our sanctuary will do. And you heard the name of that branch. The Lord is our righteousness. This is how our Advent journey begins, with a branch and also with stones, Stones that will cry out redemption. A stone manger in Bethlehem where the newborn Christ will be laid, crying out, God is with us. A stone called Golgotha, a hill of stones where Jesus cries out, it is finished. A stone tossed aside from the tomb on the third day when Jesus bursts to life, crying out, life. I give life that will never end. And by those words, and by those actions, our Lord says, I have need of you. I have need of you during these Advent days until the final Advent day. I have need of you to live as my disciples, as my servants, as my witnesses. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.